0: Welcome to Beyond By Wings, the business side of dentistry, brought to you by Edwards and Associates PC. Join us as we discuss how to build your dental practice, optimize your income, and plan for your future. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Edwards and Associates PC is not rendering legal, accounting, or professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information that is shared. At Edwards and Associates PC. Our business is the business of dentistry. For help or more information, visit our website at enassociates.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Beyond Bite Wings. In today's episode, we will be talking about KPIs and analytics. And to talk further about the subject matter, we have a very special guest on our episode today. His name is Rick Vilford. He has been a dental CPA for 40 years, was the founding president of ADCPA for 12 years. He's also got an electrical engineering degree. So, you know, fascinating background and has a lot of knowledge in this area. So without further ado,
1: Rick, how's it going? Doing great. Doing great. And I know you are now the tax season is almost winding down. (laughs) That's true. Almost. And believe
0: it or not, it was a little difficult to pull out this time. But when I heard that we can have you on the show, we made exceptions. (laughs) So, Mr. Williford, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself?
1: Sure, sure. I I started out actually at Georgia Tech as an engineering student, electrical engineering. Mm -hmm. And I was a co-op student where we would go to school three months back then and work three months. So it was a five-year program. I see. And so I got to, to work at a fascinating place called the Savannah River Plant, which is in South Carolina where they did a lot of nuclear weapons and things like oh, wow. that. So as, a, as an undergraduate engineer, I was, you know, in hog heaven there. Uh, but after about my junior year, they stopped talking English and all they spoke was math, things like that. Uh-huh. And so I realized probably I wasn't cut out to be an engineer after all, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, I went ahead and finished because I had too much invested to just quit and go take underwater basket weaving or something. <laughs> and so I graduated, then had to go put two years in the Navy back then. So I was a communications officer on a destroyer. And the captain says, well, welcome aboard, Mr. Wilford. You're the youngest officer on the ship. And so that means you were the treasurer of the officer's mess. And I said, yes, sir. Impressive. So he threw uh, a ledger book at me. It had two columns. One was credit and one was debit. And I said, well, I've heard of a credit card. (laughs) What in the world is a debit? So I had no idea with an engineering background. And so I went and bought me a bookkeeping 101 book to do my job better. And I said, hey, that's, that's kind of fascinating. So I did my two years, went back then to Georgia State in Atlanta for two years and got an, an MBA. And I had especially in accounting because I thought accounting sounded like it was like the engineering of the business world. Back in those days, before computers were all over the place, most consultants were either accountants or some might be attorneys. Now, of course, they have a heavy dose of computer background. Mm-hmm. And so I went and did that and went to work for Price Waterhouse, the big CPA firm that perhaps some people have heard of. Mm-hmm. And I had a college roommate that came back from the war and wanted to open his own dental practice. And he did and got a, a local supply group to help him with that. Mm-hmm. But then he turned to me and said, but, but Rick, I need you to come set up my books. I said, well, I I can audit Delta Airlines, but I don't know the first thing about dentists. (laughs) And so he said, go talk to these folks at the supply company. And they filled me in, brought me up to speed, learned about the business of dentistry. And while I was chatting with them, they said, Rick, by the way, we're going to get rid of this group we use currently, an outside group, to do the accounting for all of our dentists. How would you like to do that? And so, after about four nanoseconds to do consideration, I allowed us how I might do that, and I actually quit Price Waterhouse on the basis of that. Wow! And started setting up dentists all over the country, and so pretty soon became a dental CPA specialist before they even had coined the term, I think. Just like there are CPAs who specialize in car dealerships or that specialize in McDonald's hamburger Mm -hmm. outfits. If you want to know the cost of a pickle, you go to that kind of CPA because they know everything there is to know about the inner workings of the hamburger place. And so likewise with me, with so many dentists asking questions and us wanting to improve their practices, I start hanging around with dental practice management consultants 30 or 40 years ago. Because they're a lot more fun to hang with than CPAs, to tell you the truth. <laughs> and so learn an awful lot about the consulting side. Because what's un- unique is unlike a typical CPA, what we typically would do as a CPA is try to get the doctor's income, taxable income down as low as possible. So they pay the least amount in income taxes and they would come to us with their accounting records for the year, maybe it showed a million dollars of revenue. And most CPAs would just take that as as face value, but dental CPAs, they look at that million dollars and wonder, where did that come from? Could that have been $1.4 million if they worked at it and ran their practices better? And so that's why I'm really involved in the Aspect of revenue enhancement. I don't take the place of a CPA that does all the accounting and things like that and runs their QuickBooks and looks at overhead expenses. I'm on the other side of the fence, which gets into revenue enhancement and plugging profit leaks in that area.
0: Fascinating. Fascinating origin story, And, you know, and that's the reason why we have you on today, Mr. Williford, to talk about some of these factors that can help our audience or our listeners who's in this industry uh, enhance their revenue. Right. Now, we mentioned KPIs. Um, Let me actually expand upon that acronym. It's Key Performance Indicators. Now, a lot of our well-read and researched listeners may already know what it is, and they may have an idea of which KPIs to look at. But in in an earlier conversation with you, uh, that's not always the case, or it cannot be seen as such a cookie-cutter fashion, so to speak.
1: Right, right. Well, first of all, I warn folks not to believe in averages an awful lot in the key performance indicator area. Mm -hmm. Let's say the ADA says that the average dentist produced $350 an hour. Well, how useful is that number, really? Because there are a couple of problems there. One, how many chairs did they work out of? Well, goodness, some worked out of one, some worked out of two, some worked out of three. What kind of practice do they have? Is it a ultra-high-end cosmetic practice? Is it a fee for service practice? Does it have a whole lot of PPOs or just a few PPOs? Is it a Medicaid practice? All those offices got thrown in the same mixing pot. Mm -hmm. And so that's why sometimes a doctor, some of your listeners perhaps say, wow, wait a minute, something's weird here. I'm producing $650 an hour, and you say the average is $350. Well, again, that's kind of a useless figure in a way because they combine so many things together. But then there's another thing how do they define? production well, what do you mean Rick everybody knows what production is well not necessarily remember before PPOs took over 30 years ago say 25 years ago you used to have the concept of UCR standard fee schedule and that was your gross production and then you wrote off a few things like preacher discounts employee discounts friends and family and things like that maybe three or four percent. And you came up with net production. And then you wanted to see how well you collected that. So gross and net was well understood by everybody. But about three or four years ago, the the big software vendors started allowing the practices to not have to post their UCR fees to the patient. Because in the past, you had to post the UCR fee to the patient, so that's what they would bill to the insurance companies. Well, the, the software finally got smart and did what we do. We know what your fee schedule is. We already know you're charging $1,400 for 2750 or whatever. Okay. Let's bill that to Delta. I don't care what you post to the patient. So half the practices out there probably had a great sigh of relief. And they said, let's change our scheme. Let's just post the net amount we expect to get from the PPO company, say, from insurance. Mm -hmm. And that way, it saves us a whole lot of trouble having all these huge write-offs all the time when the EOBs come in, you receive your money. And so most consultants and CPAs really don't like that idea of posting the net PPO fee Because now the office, in fact, saves some trouble, a lot of trouble, but they're no longer posting that huge insurance Mm write-off. And so the consultants and the dental CPAs can't see that number, and the practice over time conveniently forgets what that number was, and they're rocking along. And so now they have this mishmash of fees they post to patients. It's not gross. It may be in some cases, which is good, but most of the time it's not. And so you may be posting your UCR fee to your fee-for-service patients, but you're posting your net PPO fee to your PPO patients, and neither of those, when you mush them together, can be called gross. So we call that, we made up a new term, we call posted production. What do you guys post to your patient? And it's this mishmash, perhaps. And so when you say, "Hey, yesterday we're excited, we did five thousand in production," you know in your office how you post your production. You know what that means—five thousand dollars. But you don't dare take that five thousand figure and go to your study club or necessarily compared to an ADA or anybody else's survey because your buddies at the study club, you don't know how they post their fees. And so when we compare practices, we always look at the UCR fees, what was produced according to UCR. So then we can compare that across your 20 friends at the study club. But then internally, you know you did not really collect anything like that. And that's where the conversation starts. Well, we had the PPO reimbursement write-offs and things like that to think about. So long story short, when the ADA says the average doctor, again, what kind of practice, how many chairs, produced, what do you mean by produced? Because remember, these folks are just asking volunteers, all the dentists, to send their numbers in. The dentist doesn't realize... That he's messing up the stats if he sends something other than UCR in, and he no longer posts UCR. Does, does that make sense, Ash? No, it does. It definitely does.
0: And you'd be surprised how often I actually see that. You know, especially during our initial call with the client when we ask them, you know, what do you think your production would right. be or something, the numbers they give us versus what we see. You know, right. the net fees basically the UCR fees minus the EOB. It's very different.
1: Yep. Yep. And that's why I would uh, kind of tell folks to look on average. If you put your feet in the oven, and your head in the refrigerator, you feel OK. But was that average worth of paper it was printed on? It is interesting, but the demographics of each office would affect what kind of average they would expect to see for certain benchmarks and things like that. And yeah, you actually hit the nail on the head with that too. So
0: that impacts the benchmarks as well. Sure. Because the overstated production tells us, oh, you can spend this much on marketing and so and so. But then later, you know, there's like a huge issue with the cash flow. They're like, oh, this is not making sense to me, Ash. And, you know, part of the issue is there that the production right. was not defined correctly.
1: Yep. And, and and that's why I think consultants like Robert Edwards and your people, mm-hmm. And the ADCPA, those folks really need to know the demographics of the practice to then properly interpret what benchmarks and goals are reasonable for them.
0: Mm -hmm. And it starts with the revenue. How are you recognizing your revenue?
1: Or, Or production. Revenue to an accountant means collections.
0: Yeah, that's also true.
1: How- production would be how do you define production Because there several flavors of production that is true and once we're all on the same page that's fine uh-huh. but you can't do an external comparison to other people not knowing how they post production mm-hmm. I and mean, it's not right or wrong way we just need to know how you're doing it right
0: and we all need to be on the same page so that the advice right. that's given is something that could be understood and you know uh the cash flow at the end of it also makes sense. Yep. Okay. So that's a great point, Mr. Wilford. Um, What other key performance indicators do you think our listeners should be paying attention to or drilling down further?
1: Okay. But first of all, it depends upon what kind of practice you have Mm -hmm. to determine which Key performance indicators, KPIs, are more relevant to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And whenever I start off a conversation of KPIs like this, I always ask the audience or ask the doctors, Doctor, what kind of practice do you want or have? Do you want to be busy or do you want to be productive? Right, And more and more people, especially if they're getting sucked into the PPO and make a a deal with the devil, (laughs) all of a sudden, they've taken this haircut of about 40% off of their fees, and that drops straight to the bottom line. Your overhead didn't go down, but your profit sure took a hit, and that's why your overhead percentage-wise looks so crazy. And maybe sometime we can talk about why I think most people are not measuring overhead right. And that's why they get these weird numbers compared to what they used to think 40 years ago, which really are still valid if you define your terms properly. Mm -hmm. So if you're a, a heavy PPO practice, you're busy, busy. You're booked out nine months in advance. You don't have any wiggle room. If I walk in and you tell me I need a four-unit bridge, when can you see me? Your schedule is full, but your schedule may be full where things that are not terribly productive. You're doing a lot of buckle pit amalgams mm-hmm. and not crown and bridge. Mm-hmm. But you're so busy and your nose to the grindstone, you have to you know, run like the hamster in the wheel. And that's not bad if that suits you. And some offices, they've cleverly done this. You'll have a senior doctor and maybe two associates. And the associates are doing all the PPO work at a lower reimbursement rate. They've agreed to accept a lower salary or whatever to do that. But the owner doctor, for goodness sake, he's not wasting his time doing all that low-end procedures. Instead, he uses those two or three associates to feed him the implants, the crown and bridge, things like that. So then that makes it a tenable way to go. But if you're the only doctor and you have to do all the stuff that's being done, then you're probably going to die early. (laughs) (laughs) But but you're not going to retire early because the finances just weren't there probably
0: to Uh, fund
1: your retirement plan the way you'd like and cash balance (laughs) plans and and things like that. So that's the busy, busy. Mm -hmm. And that's where I tell folks, do you want to practice by default Mm -hmm. or do you want to practice by design? And maybe you're fed up. In fact, I'll ask a lot of audiences of the doctors. I'll say, doc, How's the dream coming? Uh, what? Well, what are you talking about? Well, you know, before you graduated dental school, you had a dream of what your dental practice was going to look like and the kind of procedures you were going to do, and who you were going to work on, et cetera, et cetera. Now, of course, some of that wasn't, you know, totally well informed. At least you had an image, a vision, a dream of your ideal practice. How does that compare to what's happening now, doctor, 20 years later? You had no idea back then that you're going to go the way of the pharmacists say, and now all of a sudden everybody's working for the big box boys or PPOs, Mm -hmm. and somebody else is setting your fee schedule, running your practice, maybe supervising your diagnosis, and you're not having fun at all. And that's where you need to chat with Robert and some of the folks there to say, hey, is a way we can change this and get back closer, at least, to what I had hoped we'd be doing now. And so the busy, busy model really is ruining a lot of folks' dreams compared to the productive model. Now, if you have 12 chairs and four associates to feed, you've got to be busy, busy. You've got to just open the, the floodgates and get all the patients in the chairs that you can, because that's the model you chose, and perhaps you're satisfied with, and or it's feeding the high end work to the owner. That's not bad. That's one way to do it. So you would perhaps, uh, as a key performance indicator KPI, you might be tracking how many patient visits did we have yesterday, last month, year-to-date, or whatever, number of patient visits. Mm -hmm. You might be watching closely, how many new patients did we get? And you'd love to be the first one in your study club to announce that you got 100 new patients last month. Of course, there's going to be some old codger in the back and say, yeah, but how many of them needed any work? That's a different (laughs) conversation, right? That's true. On the other hand, if you want to be productive, I would suggest let's look at how much are you producing per patient visit. You've got a lot of patient visits, Mm -hmm. but you're only producing 25 cents a visit. I'd rather you slow it down, have the right kind of patients that agree with your philosophy, dentally, clinically. They want you to take care of their mouths for the rest of their life. They're not just pain motivated and come in once every five years regularly, whether they need it or not. You want a practice full of those kind of people who will understand, appreciate, can afford, and will accept the higher-end dentistry that you may really prefer that you want to do. Some folks don't want to do that kind of dentistry. I do know some dentists. I call them referodontists. They send out just about everything. They don't do bridges. And that they're happy. Happy as a peas and pod. <laughs> wow. And they go home at 5 o'clock and no problems. But they're going to be doing that till they're probably 78 years old also. <laughs> and so on the productive side, we want to know not how much did you produce per day. The ADA can tell you on average it's X, Y, Z. But we say, wait a minute. Remember, I hate averages. How long is everybody's day in that mix? Some are six hour days, eight hour days, 10 hour days. So that kind of ruins the quote average. Mm-hmm. Also, if you look at, well, let's look at how much we produce per hour. Same idea. The problem there is, like I said earlier, how many chairs do you work out of? One, two, Three, so you can't compare across the board that way very easily. The gold standard that overcomes all those elements would be, I don't care how many chairs you're working out of, how many hours you work in a day, what is the production per patient visit? That's where it all starts. If you're getting 100 new patients a month, in a smaller practice, one-doctor, maybe two-doctor practice. You guys are running around chasing your tail all day. You don't have time to slow down and have a real treatment plan conversation. You're shooting from the hip with your treatment plan, probably. People are not going to buy a $10,000 treatment plan that way. And so you're hurting yourself both ways. You're busy, busy. You're going home tired baby angry and you're not making the money you should and you think your overhead's too t- too high believe it or not 90 percent of your problem is not overhead you're just not producing enough to pay that overhead
0: well said that is so true we i feel like by default as human humans we tend to always uh look at the expenses first like oh you know what i feel like such and such expense is too high. Right. I need to focus on that and reduce that so I can right. impact our bottom line. But when in reality, you know uh, the better way to handle this would be to focus on the top level. Like how can I enhance my
1: revenue production? Right. right. Cause you may save a hundred dollars a month in dental supplies by joining some buying organization. Mm-hmm. But if you could have increased your revenue, By $20,000 a month, Mm -hmm. I think that's the way to go. (laughs) That's true. I agree. Yeah. All
0: right. I think that's a great place to put a placeholder over here. I know we're towards the end of our episode. Um, So I think what we're going to do is we're going to split this episode into two parts. So join us again to listen to our part two with Mr. Rick Williford, where we will talk further on KPIs and their analytics. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe to Beyond by Wings on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, or reach out to us on our website. You can also shoot us an email at info at eandassociates.com.